Well, I hope that you have enjoyed the series that we've begun about the story of the Bible. And uh, the original plan, as John Kresge mentioned, was some of the pastors were going to take some of those as well. Um, But we've decided to transition that. uh, And it's a passion that John has, and we all fully and wholeheartedly uh, agree with it. But I would have a harder time preaching it with the same passion that John Kresge does. So, so I hope that tonight, with me being up here, I just wanted to make sure that nobody's confused. It's not that, that we didn't think that it would be good for us to share that message. Uh, it, it's just that it was a, a much better fit for John to share that, that message that God has really challenged him with. Uh, and so then when we found out that, that we were going to have this Sunday evening, I thought, well, you know what? There's a message that I've been wanting to preach that I shared at a, a retreat, and I thought, you know what? This will be a great time for me to share that message with us, uh, our people. And then, wouldn't you know, it's one of those things, we're going to be in Amos chapter 5, as you see tonight, and, and there might be some going, Amos, Amos, where is Amos? Um, well, you know, it's after Joel, it's before Obadiah. If you hit Obadiah, you've gone too far. Uh, so open your Bibles to Amos chapter 5 with me. And so I think, okay, this is one of those messages that, uh, you know, I just feel like, all right, this is something that God would have me to preach. And then when we went down to together, to, for, together for the gospel, uh, as the pastors together, um, David Platt says, open your Bibles to the book of Amos. And I thought, oh, wow. I don't know that I've ever heard a message on Amos besides the one that I preached. And he says, open your Bibles to Amos chapter 5. And I thought, oh, goodness, this is, this is getting a little close. And then he says, uh, we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 24. And I thought, oh, great. So now I have this message that I would want to share with my people. And first, I have to listen to David Platt preach it. And it's going to be pretty intimidating for me. But then David Platt got lambasted for his message on, David, or on Amos chapter 5. So, uh, so after tonight, you'll either want to lambaste me, just like David Platt, uh, or I'll be able to say, hey, I preached it better than David Platt did. So, uh, Lord willing, um, I, it doesn't matter to me uh, who, who did better or who did worse, uh, but my hope is that we can come to the scriptures tonight uh, with a heart of trying to say, Lord, teach me what you would have me to learn, because we're in a passage of scripture uh, that's going to deal a lot with justice. And so tonight, that's what we're going to talk about. What is justice? Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines it as the maintenance or administration of what is just, especially by the assignment of merited rewards or punishments. I always harass the teens when, they, when I ask them a definition of something when they try to use the word to define it. You can't use just to design, define justice. Uh, actually, I guess you can because Webster's does it. But a, a, an alternate definition is giving somebody what they deserve. Giving them some, something that they have earned or something that they deserve. Giving them their merited reward. And that's intrinsic in that definition of justice uh, by Webster. So uh, if you're not uh, there or if you want to read along, open to Amos chapter 5. Uh, and we're going to begin in verse 18. And it's important to understand that in the context of Israel's history, this was a time in Israel's history where they were actually very prosperous. Things were going well for them in all of the worldly sense of things. However, they were far from God, they were distant from God, and they were uh, separated from him. In fact, uh, socially, they were very wicked. And and, and we see that cycle of disobedience being played out here uh, in the lives of Israel. And so beginning in, in Amos 5, verse 18, we read this. 
Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? And gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. In the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Let's pray. Father, as we go to your word, we pray that you would teach us, that your Holy Spirit would work among us. I pray that, that the things that I say would be accurate and true to your word, and, and that they would land upon hearts that are willing to listen and ears that are willing to hear. Father, not from me, but from you. And these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first thing I want us to think about when we're thinking about justice is, is when you cry out for justice, you better be careful what you ask for. In verses 18 through, through 21, we, we see them crying out for justice. But it's never a good thing when God begins a conversation with you that starts with woe to you. I, I don't ever want to be on the receiving end of a woe-to-you conversation with God. I don't like being on the receiving end of a woe-to-you conversation with anyone. But with a holy and righteous and just creator of the universe who has authority over all things, I don't want him to look at me someday and say, woe to you. But that's what he says here. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. I think it's important for us to kind of step back from the text a little bit and make sure that we understand what that term, day of the Lord, means. The day of the Lord is, is ultimately the coming of God when he will, will judge with his righteous, holy judgment all sin. It's when he will ultimately and completely judge sin forever. You see, the people here were crying out for justice. They wanted, to, they wanted God to judge the enem, their enemies for their wickedness. You see, there's also lots of evil going around in the world that the Israelites lived in. I mean, even though that they were participating in things that they shouldn't have done, they were looking out at everybody else and saying, we want you to judge them for the evil that's going on. You see, don't take this lightly. There are serious consequences for justice. And, it, and it's not something that you and I should, should lightly cry out for against other people. Because Amos tells them it's darkness and not light. You think it's going to be one thing. But ultimately, it's, it's more than you really have understood here, children. It's more than the Israelites really wanted to identify with. You see, we often think that justice is a good thing for them. We always want justice, but we want it for them. And whoever the them is, they're not us. And, and it's easy for us to want justice for them because they're not us. 
and we want to criticize everybody outside of ourselves. At the heart of them crying out for God to judge someone else, they're, they're, they're telling God what to do. They're saying, God, I don't think you realize what's going on here, but we're your children, and, and we're, we're doing our thing here, and those wicked people out there are doing really nasty stuff, and you should judge them, God. That's what you need to do. They're putting themselves in a place where, where they're trying to identify what should be judged and what shouldn't. And they want justice, but they want justice for them. They think they get to decide, they get to tell the righteous, holy creator of the universe what true justice is supposed to look like. Because after all, we're just like the Israelites. We don't think we're that bad. And that's why we oftentimes are crying out for justice for those people over there as well. We don't think that justice applies to us as much. It only applies to them. Look at verse 19. We see this from the context of, this, of these verses, that, that they kind of had this false sense of security. They had this false sense of uprightness, this, this false sense of righteousness. It's as if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, or he went into the house and he leaned against it on the wall, I'm safe now, and a serpent bites him. He thinks he's okay, but he's not. We think that we're safe, as if we've escaped a lion only be, to be eaten by the bear. Or crept into the house only to be bitten by a snake. You see, we, we have to be careful when we're crying out for justice that we think that it only applies to everyone else and not just us. Jesus addresses this same issue in the New Testament in Luke chapter 6, verses 41 and 42. It's a very familiar passage of scripture to people in the world. They'll oftentimes quote or misquote this in a context where you're having a conversation with them. It says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not, do, you, do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take out the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. Most people hear these verses, and they immediately think, See, God says don't judge. That's not true. That's not true at all in this context. It's not that God says don't judge. What he says is first get your own heart right with me. And then you'll be in a place where you can share with others. Take care of the log that's in your own eye. And then you'll be able to see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Luke 6 and Amos 5 tell us to examine our own lives first. They challenge us to, to look inward when we're thinking about justice first, to be always self-evaluating and not first putting it out on someone else. You see, because when we do that, when we look inside, when we, when we turn the lens of Scripture on my own life first, we will see that there's a lot. There's a lot that God could deal with in my own heart. There's a lot in my own life that, that he needs to help me to work through first. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I don't want to give the uh, impression that, that God doesn't despise all sin. That's ultimately at the heart of what I'm talking about here. God does despise all sin, and he despises my sin just as much and equally as he despises the sin of those other people that I want God to judge. 
But that brings us to the part, part of this passage that helps us to look at these things. What are some things that God hates? Our, our text tells us very clearly some things that God despises and hates. The language here, if you thought woe to you was bad, Amos turns it up a notch. Look at verses 21 through 23. I hate, as if that's not saying it strongly enough, I despise. Do you understand what I'm saying here? I hate it, I despise it. What is it that I hate and despise? I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen. Look at those words. Those are some harsh words being thrown around there. They describe how God feels about their actions. He says, I hate, I despise, I take no delight, I will not accept, I will not look upon, take them away, I will not listen. Ouch. Those are painful words from our God of love. And if God uses such harsh language toward these things, we best be certain to know what they are so that we don't do them. We best not fall into the same trap that the Israelites do. We best not do what they did. And so what was it? What was it that they did? Well, there were feasts, there were solemn assemblies and worship gatherings, there were burnt offerings, there were grain offerings, there were sacrifices, there's peace offerings of fattened animals. They made songs, they made melody of their harps. That, that doesn't seem right. Shouldn't God be pleased with all these sacrifices? Shouldn't God be pleased with their, their lives of devoting their animals to him and, and of their giving to him and, and their songs and their melodies and their sacrifice? They had completely missed the point. You see, God hates empty worship and empty religion. He hates it. He despises it. This is one of the ways that Satan blinds people in this world. They get so caught up in religious activity. They get so caught up in, in doing the right things that they think they're doing for God. But in fact, they are so far from God. And we're not exempt from this in a good church like ours. Doing good things cannot cover our sins. No matter how religious we are, it can never be enough to please a holy, righteous, perfect God. Our religious activity will never be enough to save us. We teach our kids, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It's a gift of God, not, not by works, so that nobody should boast. The, the messages that we're going to be looking forward to in our study in Ephesians, moving forward. But sometimes, sometimes I feel like we, we say that, but we're only giving lip service to it in, in our own lives. Sometimes I feel like, as, as Christians, sometimes we'll act like, yes, I'm saved by grace, but then I sustain myself with all of my religious activity. And God, Jesus will love me more because I do all these great things for Jesus. But that's not true. Jesus loved you enough to die on the cross while you were yet sinners, while you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's when Christ came and died on the cross for you and for me. 
We need to understand that that, that that overwhelming heart of devotion and understanding of the grace of God is what should motivate us to live and to serve him. It can't be empty worship and empty religion. It has to be based on the truth of how God says we are to approach him. And that's only through the blood of Jesus. But God also says that he hates a mouthful of insincere praise. You see, our people started crying out at the beginning of this passage for for judgment on their enemies. And you know, sometimes as conservative Christians, we oftentimes will say, God, why don't you judge that group of people? Because, you know, we, we know that they're doing things you don't want them to do. And again, I am not condoning sin. I am not condoning anything that goes on in our world around us that is opposed to God and his righteous commands. But sometimes we get so caught up in crying out for, for judgment against them that we forget that God is a God of grace and love and mercy. And the only reason that, that I haven't been wiped off the face of the earth because of my sin is because of his grace and mercy. And my sin isn't any worse or better in the eyes of God than their sin. But you know what I do understand? I understand Jesus. I understand the cross. I understand the gospel. And we should be motivated not by calling for for judgment on them and acting like we're doing it in a righteous decree, but instead we should be crying out to God to save them. Crying out to God that, that the gospel would be made clear to them. Crying out to God that we would have an opportunity to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. But instead, we, we cry out for judgment sometimes. And we think that it's the right thing, but, but it's really insincere praise. You can be certain, God knows our hearts. God knows our hearts, and he knows whether we look upon them, whoever them is, in your life. If we're looking on those outsiders with disdain in our heart and wanting God to judge them for wrong reasons, you can be certain that he knows. And we see this in so many different passages of Scripture that God's concerned with our heart and he's concerned with our devotion to him and our commitment to him and our desire to to please him has to come from that heart that is overflowing with love and praise for him. But one passage that I want us to think about is Psalm 44, verses 20 and 21 says, if we had forgotten the name of our God or spread out our hands to a foreign God, would not God discover this? For he knows the secrets of the heart. I think that sometimes here in the United States, we've, we've made gods of many of our religious convictions. And we cry out for judgment against people. And we, we think that it's for the one true God that we're doing this. But God desires to, to love them and to reach them. Quite honestly, when, when, when we read the, the newspaper and we see what's going on and, and there's difficulty with race relations in the United States and, and there's difficulty with the, the LGBTQ community and we cry out, God, judge them for what they're doing. If, if we're crying out, God, judge those groups, we're missing the point. We're crying out for the day of the Lord when, when what God really wants 
is not to, to wipe them off the face of the earth, but he wants those of us who know the truth of the gospel, who know the grace of God, to reach out in love to them so that they too can gather around the throne of God and worship him forever. And somehow, sometimes, it's easier for us to think about things like foreign missions and a tribe in, in Zimbabwe that's never had the gospel presented to them. And yes, they're living a hedonistic, awful lifestyle. And we talk about the fact that we should raise up missionaries to send them to speak to them. And we should. But we also should be willing to take the gospel across the street to the people in our communities that are just equally living for themselves, blinded by Satan, living a life of sin in this world. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to reach out in love with the gospel. Instead of making false gods in our hearts of righteousness and and thinking that our holy living is going to make us more presentable in the eyes of God. Look backwards with me uh, in Amos to verse 12. In Amos 5 verse 12, uh, we read, For I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. Remember, these are the people who are crying out for justice just a few verses later. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy. You see, there's all this wickedness going on in their own hearts. And if we're honest... There's not a day that goes by that we are not in need of the grace of God in our life. There's not a day in my life that I don't need God's forgiveness, His Holy Spirit trying to empower me to live for Him and and the grace and mercy of God in my life. And so I have to be careful when I'm crying out for justice that I'm not doing exactly what the Israelites do, saying that my sins don't really matter and I want justice for them. We can't be blind to our own sin and our own insincerity because we cannot fool God. We might be blinded to our sin, but God sees it and he knows it. And that's why he sent Christ to die for it. In all of this, I also think it's important that we don't lose sight that we do serve a God of justice. We serve a God of justice. So, so in all of this, the Israelites, we often cry out for justice But we don't understand that that God doesn't just want justice for them. God wants justice for all people. He wants all people to be able to live a justified life. Look at the last verse of our passage, verse 24 of Amos 5. It says, But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Don't misunderstand. God will ultimately bring justice. That's what he wants. But true justice from God means this. Every sinner deserves to be punished. That's the message of the gospel. Every sinner deserves to be be punished. And that includes the Adolf Hitlers of history and the Kim Jong-uns and the child molesters and the Larry Nassers of this world. That includes all of them. But it also includes me. And it includes you. We deserve to be punished. And that punishment is separation from God forever. A holy and righteous God who cannot look on our sin. We don't deserve to be able to worship him around the throne with people from every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. We don't deserve to be part of that. Our sin should separate us from that. Because judgment and justice is what we truly 
deserve. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death, but God, we learned about this morning, but God, in his mercy, the God who is rich in mercy and full of love to us, extended to us on the cross of Calvary the forgiveness that we did not deserve. You see, Christ died to pay the punishment for our sins. It's so important. When we think about justice, we can't have, as a believer in Jesus, we can't have a conversation without justice that does not include the gospel message. In this world, there can be no justice without the gospel. Because those people that are crying out for the justice to take place in this world, they're right. There's all sorts of things messed up and broken. And that's why Jesus came. Romans 3, 23 through 26, tell us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. As a believer in Christ, when we cry out for justice, we should be able to tell people we do want justice. But that means that you and me and everyone has to face a holy God and to face his judgment. And because We can't stand that. We can't do that on our own. That's why Christ came and died. You see, God can't just overlook our sins because he is just and righteous. But by sending the Lord Jesus Christ to come and to die and to pay your penalty and mine, he he becomes both just and the justifier of those who believe in him. It's the bad news, good news of of the gospel. And you and I, should never overlook that. And so when we're thinking about the brokenness that goes on in this world and the wickedness and the wretchedness that we see going on around us, instead of standing and and trying to condemn the world because of it, it should cause us to long for them to hear about Jesus. It should cause us to long for them to hear the good news of the gospel. And it should compel us to go and to share that good news with them. Instead of standing back and saying, well, they are completely outside the reach of the gospel. Because ultimately, when we're calling for judgment on them, that's what we're saying. Is that, yeah, I know that Christ died for all sins so that those who would believe in him could have eternal life. But I don't think they qualify. They're outside the reach of the gospel. No one is outside the reach of the gospel. And I praise God for that because I was not outside the reach of the gospel. And I needed to be saved. And so do they. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God made Jesus, him who knew no sin, to be sin for them so that in him they might become the righteousness of God. But when we stand and we condemn, instead of reaching out in love and sharing the gospel, we don't don't really believe 
that that's why Jesus died. God is a God of justice. But oftentimes we only think of passages like Romans 3.23 and and 2 Corinthians 5.21. We only think about that as as a chance for someone to get saved in our family or or someone to kind of clean up their life and come to Christ. No, God saves messy sinners. God saves wretched sinners. And he calls them to himself. So, if God is a God of justice, and he wants justice to roll down like waters and righteousness to be like an ever-flowing stream, what does justice in the life of the justified look like? What does justice in the life of those who know Jesus What's it really supposed to look like? Because the Israelites didn't get it. They didn't understand it. They thought that they knew what it meant to be justified by God and to then be able to condemn those other people around them. But see, when we have a relationship with Christ, when we put our faith in, in him, when we know his grace, when we've been forgiven, we know that we have been justified. We stand before a holy and righteous God and we are just as if I'd never sinned. You know, I I like that as a description of the term justified. God sees me and he looks at me because I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. and, And he doesn't see the wretched sinner that Chad is and was. Instead, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, who died for me. He sees me as if it's just as if I'd never sinned. Because my sin has been paid for by the blood of Christ. Quite simply, God wants us now to then reflect that character, that nature, the justice that he brought into your life, into mine, if you know Christ, the justice that he brought into our life, he wants us to pour out into the world around us. And justice doesn't look like condemnation. Micah chapter 6, verses 6 through 8 says this, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And then a passage that many of us might be familiar with. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. We oftentimes, there's an an old chorus, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. And, and, And we like to sing about those kinds of things. But the context of that passage is so important. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow before the God on high? Is it about my offerings? Is it about rivers of oil that I could offer to you? Should I offer my firstborn for my transgressions? No. When you know the justice of God, you know that you can never meet those requirements of yourselves and on your own. So you have to come by faith in the plan of God. And then what should that look like in your life? Well then, you should do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your God because of it. Do justice, love kindness, and walk because of God, walk humbly with God because we acknowledge first that we were in desperate need of God's grace. 
It's not about anything that I could do on my own merit. And I still am in desperate need of God's grace. And then we extend that kindness to the world around us, to the world that's in desperate, desperate need of it. Dave Carpenter, when he was praying this morning, alluded to Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, a really important passage of Scripture, I think, for us, that, that because of what Christ has done for us, the light, the light of the gospel is in us. And then what should we do with that? Should we hide it? No, we shouldn't. What do we do with it? Matthew tells us, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Why are we the light of the world? Because Christ is in us. And and if the light is in us, then we shouldn't just keep it to ourselves and and talk about, oh, look at those people out there in the darkness. Look at how awful they are. God judged them. They're lost. They're in darkness. No. The light of the gospel should radiate from our lives, from our families, from our church, out into the darkest regions of the world that need it the most and not hide it under a basket. So ultimately... I've said that the Israelites need to look at what's going on in their own hearts. And I think that it's always a good thing for for you and I to do spiritual heart checks for ourselves. And And I think we need to evaluate. Have you understood the gospel message? Have you personally put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Or, or do you still kind of think that your solemn assemblies, your, your religious activity, your service to God is going to be enough? Do you think maybe belonging to a good church or being part of a good church like First Baptist is enough to save you? It's not. God is a God of justice and he will judge your sin. And the only way to, to escape the judgment is to have that sin paid for by trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you know that, and I know most of us here tonight do, we need to ask ourselves, well then, what are we doing with that justice that God has taken for us? The judgment that God has taken for us. Have I, have I now said, oh, praise God, I'm now saved and I don't have to worry about those that are dying. Are we taking the light of the gospel and hiding it under a basket? Or are we living it out? Is your life characterized by love, kindness, peace? Is your your life characterized by by truthfulness? And being willing to have difficult conversations with people about about what is going on in this world? And about the things that, that, that are apart from what God would desire? You see... Just as we've been talking about for the story of the Bible, John, I was surprised, didn't really hammer hammer home on it because there's so much that he wanted to do. But in the Abrahamic covenant, it's reiterated that Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. He was blessed so that all nations in this world would be blessed through him, through, through the seed of Jesus Christ, ultimately, that would come and be the savior of the world. All nations in the world will be blessed So God set up this covenant relationship with Abraham that you are blessed to be a blessing. 
But I think too often we, we really begin to think, no, we're blessed because God wants to bless us and he loves us and he must love us more than them because they're not blessed and we are. But that is not true. We're blessed to be a blessing so that all nations will be blessed. The gospel message is still the same as the Abrahamic covenant. God has blessed us. If God has blessed you with salvation, he blessed you so that you can be a blessing to others. He has, he has helped you to understand what justice and mercy truly look like so that you can share mercy with others and help them to see that without the grace of God in their life, they're going to face a God of justice and a God of judgment and they're going to face the wrath of God. You and I do have the opportunity to do that. But it needs to be wrapped in an understanding that I need that for me and you need that for you. So I think first and foremost, instead of drawing lines that divide people, we need to be about understanding that the gospel brings people in. It brings them into the kingdom, brings them into the light, it brings them into the message of salvation. I think first and foremost, we need to remind ourselves that God's justice means that in my life, that without Jesus, I would be wiped out for my transgressions. But he gave me mercy. And that mercy should compel us to share the love of Christ with others. So what are we going to be as a church? When we read in the news about how difficult things are going in this world, when we read about the wretchedness and the wickedness that's taking place in our society, are we going to wring our hands and say, woe is me, I don't know what to do. God judge that wickedness that's going on. Or are we going to stand up and say, God, I deserved your wrath. I deserved your condemnation. I deserved to be separated from you forever. But in your love, you demonstrated your love that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. I hope that we will take a stand as a church and be willing to love others, to extend the grace and the mercy to others. A very familiar old hymn that's been kind of rewritten is Just As I Am. And Travis Cottrell has, has rewritten that and he added a little bit of a chorus to it. Um, and I just wanted to share these words as we're getting ready to close. We're not going to close singing that song because uh, we don't sing it and that's okay. Uh, but it says this, just as I am, I would be lost, but mercy and grace my freedom bought. I come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb, and I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God just as I am. Do we really believe that? That I was welcomed with the gospel, that gospel, wounded, broken, desperate, empty, and Christ came. And if he came for me, he can come for them. And so I shouldn't look with condemnation. I should say, come. Come be part of us. Come be part of those who know that they are sinners saved by grace, and that Christ has done everything necessary to accomplish our salvation. I hope that's the kind of people that we will be. I hope that's the kind of gospel we believe in, because it's the only gospel that saves. Let's pray. Father, 
there are a, a lot of things that we know you despise. When we look at a passage like Amos chapter 5, we're reminded that religiousness is not enough. Father, I pray that you would be, help us to be people of the gospel. People who know and understand that salvation is by grace, through faith. There's nothing that we could do to earn it on our own. And when we know that, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be people that, that look with love and compassion on the crowds that are without Jesus. Jesus was the ultimate example of compassion when he would look on the hurting crowds and he, he wanted to love them, he wanted to share with them. Father, help us to, to love like Jesus did, to be willing to speak the truth when needed, like Jesus did to the Samaritan woman at the well. Father, help us. Help us to be motivated by grace, the grace that saved us and the grace that sustains us each and every day and the grace that is the only hope that this world has. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.